The scripture for today's sermon comes from John 9, 1 through 7. The word of God speaks to us. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is God's word to us. All right. Thanks, Sarah. How's everybody doing? Yes, look at that. Um, like Josh said, my name is Dylan. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm just glad to be up here. Um, I'm not regularly in the preaching rhythm, but um, I've been a part of this church for 10 years, and uh, I've served on staff here for eight years, and so it's a gift to get to be here with you and open God's word, and I'm excited for what God has for us today. And so, um, if you will, uh, let's pray together. If you will pray for me, and I'm going to pray for you. Father, we just thank you that we're, we're here together in this room. We're thankful that you brought us here together as a family. Jesus, I'm thinking about all of the ways that you've worked in, in our stories um, to bring us here. All of the ways that you've shown us your grace and your love and your power and your presence. And, um, and Jesus, I just pray as we open your word today that we would see you clearly. I want to pray that, that you would do something deep in our hearts through your power. Um, you would do it. Amidst, uh, amidst us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Um, okay, so I don't know about you, but uh, when I was a kid, I'm old enough to say that, by the way. <laughs> when I was a kid, getting your driver's license was a big deal, all right? So when I was 15, my parents took me driving, and I'm gonna be honest with you, it was terrible. It was a terrible experience, it was a terrifying experience, and uh, we had a realization. It wasn't terrifying because I couldn't drive. That's actually not the problem. The problem that we learned was I actually, I, I couldn't really see. So I had lived 15 and a half years, 15 and a half years of my life before I realized that I really couldn't see. It explains why I was so bad at baseball growing up. I remember there was this moment we were driving, and my mom said, hey, turn right at Rockwell. And I said, which one is Rockwell? She said, what do you mean? Can't you see the sign? I said, no. I actually couldn't see the sign. I had to get to the place where I was driving up, and um, you get like really close to the intersection. You can look up at the sign. It's really bright. There's a light there. You know when you squint? I don't know why it helps, but you like close one eye and kind of don't look out of the other one, and then you can, you can barely read it, and then I would turn. I had lived my entire life, but had no idea that I couldn't really see. I shared that story today because this is a story about God healing a man's sight, but it points to a greater miracle about healing our spiritual sight, and I think that Jesus wants to correct all of our vision today, all right? I'm going to give you my three points. You can write them down um, if you're a note taker. First off, we're going to see Jesus respond to suffering. Like when, when, when you're walking through something that's heavy, uh, you, you kind of throw your hands up. You say, God, where are you? Well, we're going to see that Jesus sees our suffering. And then we're going to look at portraits of different people. We're going to look at different people who represent us and represent people outside the world. And we're going to see that those people who think that they see Jesus, sorry, those who think that they see, they actually miss Jesus. 
And then the last thing is we're going to talk about uh, the fact that when we see Jesus more clearly, it leads us to worship with every part of our life. All right, those are your three points for the day, and uh, we're going to jump right into this story. So, so just like what Sarah read for us, Jesus is, he's actually on a walk with his disciples, all right? So he, he, he's passing by and he sees, he sees a man born blind from birth. Really quick, um, this is the beginning of chapter 9. Well, at the end of chapter 8, Jesus has been at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is this epic feast where everyone comes into Jerusalem. It's a huge party, all right? And so Jesus, um, he kind of picks some fights with some Pharisees, and this last one is pretty big. The last one, uh, right before this in the story, he actually claims to be God. He says, before Abraham was, I am. I am is the name for God. And so Jesus claims to be God and claims to be uh, preeminent and preexistent. And so the Pharisees actually pick up stones to throw at Jesus, and they're going to they're gonna stone him. But Jesus does this thing. I don't know if you're reading through the Gospels, you read this. It's kind of curious. He does this thing where he just sneaks away. Do you know what I mean? I, I always wonder, like, how does that happen? Does he, does he do like a Marvel cinematic move and just put paws on everybody and then he runs out? I don't know. But that's what has just happened in this story. And so Jesus is on a walk with his disciples. And it says he looks off and he sees a man born blind. Now, I don't know how busy anybody is, but I think Jesus is a pretty busy guy, right? He almost just got murdered and he's fighting uh, the cosmic principalities of darkness. And he's on a walk away from that, but he takes the time to see this man. And I just want to give us all a second, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to place yourself in the story and see that man. Go ahead. Close your eyes. What do you see? For me, I look off, and a little ways off to the left, I see a man covered in dirt. He's sitting in the dirt, hair is a mess, clothes are tattered. He's probably got scars and bumps on him from tripping. See a man, when you look at his eyes, what do you see? They're just blank. You see a man begging in the dirt because he's actually spent his whole life in darkness, alone. He's never seen one bit of beauty, never seen the face of his mother or his siblings. He's never seen a sunset over the lake, his whole life in darkness, and he's begging, asking for a little bit of help. Okay, you can open your eyes. So this is the picture that we come up on. And Jesus, even though he's walking away from something and he's walking towards something, he takes the time to see this man in the dirt. Now, the, the disciples, they ask this question. They just say, hey, hey, Jesus, whose fault is it that this man was born blind from birth? Was it his fault or was it his parents' fault? And I think this is a really common question. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I see suffering, I want to know whose fault it is. You know what I mean? I want to know, like, whose fault is it that this happened? And I think it's really common. Um, back, in, uh, back in their day, there was a belief that if someone was born with a condition like this, it was either their parents' fault or it was their fault. They actually believed that you could actually sin in the womb. And, and the disciples, they just want to know, like, whose fault is it? <clears throat> And, and I think that we need to slow down and pay attention to this because the reality is that they were able to look at someone that Jesus, when Jesus saw the man, he was moved with compassion, right? Jesus stopped everything that he was doing to see this man and to move towards him. But the disciples, they wanted to know whose fault it was so they could move right past him. And I just think that's really common. 
I don't know what news channel you listen to. I don't know what your social media feeds look like, what online guru you follow. But suffering is everywhere. And as they commentate on it, what you're going to find is everyone is looking for an answer to explain that suffering that conveniently allows them to walk right on by. But that's not the way that Jesus handles this situation. Listen, the disciples, at least when they had a question about what's going on in the world, why is it happening, they actually went to the right place, right? They actually brought those questions, and rather than going anywhere else to get the worldly answers, they actually go to Jesus, and Jesus corrects their understanding, and they get to see a powerful work of God. So Jesus says, hey, it's not even about that. It's not about whose sin is it. Is it this sin or that sin? And I just want to be really clear. We do believe that suffering, suffering is because of sin, right? When, when God created the world, he created it good. And when Adam and Eve first sinned, that's when sin and suffering and death entered the world. That's when it broke. And God is on a mission to fix all of those things. So we believe that suffering, uh, in some sense, is a result of sin. But the idea that you can pin someone suffering exactly to what they did wrong, that way you can blame them. Listen, if you've ever read the book of Job, you had to suffer through 33 chapters of Job's friends trying to do the same thing. And what we see is that that is not what this is about. Jesus says, no, this is about the fact that God's work will be displayed amidst this man's suffering. That's the Christian response to suffering. So Jesus, he moves forward, and he says this line. He says, I must do the works of him who sent me. He's talking about his father. Jesus has just said, I am. He just called himself God. And so what we see is in the beginning, at the creation of the world, God formed man out of the dirt. And he actually breathed, the Bible says, he breathed life into man through his nostrils. And what we see is Jesus is going to come back right here in John chapter 9, and he's going to do it again. He spits into the same dirt that man was formed out of. He spits into it, he makes mud, and he anoints the man's eyes. You see, Jesus is doing a work of recreation. Jesus stepped into a broken world not to leave it that way, but to actually heal it and fix it even better than before. And so what we see is as Jesus anoints the man's eyes with the mud. He is reversing the curse. And that's what Jesus does. I don't know what your relationship with suffering is like. I know that all of us are plagued with suffering. Um, I don't know what's happened in your life. I don't know if uh, you're, you're actually wrecked out with anxiety because you're afraid of what might come in the future. I don't know if sadness and heaviness and suffering. I don't know if it's like you clock in when you wake up in the morning, you clock in to sadness because of what's happening in your life. I've got friends who I feel like they, they've spent the last five years of their life staring in the rear view mirror at something that happened five years ago because they've not recovered from it, right? Suffering is everywhere. And in those moments, I don't know about you, but when I feel like I'm getting pounded into the ground in the dirt like this guy, I just want to look up at God and say, where are you? Do you see me? Do you, do you see anything that's happening to me? Why aren't you doing anything? I think that's really common. But what I want you to see in this story is Jesus does see, and he does move. And in this man's life, he spent his whole life in darkness in the dirt, but do you know what? God is actually working to heal him and to restore him, but do you know what? He can't see it yet. He can't see it yet. 
He's blind. And I want to give that to you. I don't know if you're currently walking through something or if something happened in your past or you're afraid of what's going to happen in the future. But what you see is Jesus is the one. He's the only one. The only one who can step in and redeem suffering. And he's doing it, but you might not see it yet. But what you see from the man, this is crazy. Look at, uh, pull, pull it up behind me. Look at verse 6. Listen to what Jesus does. Um, he never actually tells the man he's going to be healed. All right, check this out. Verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground, he made mud with saliva, then he, he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Do you see that, like, he, was ne- he never even told him what he was going to get. God was working in his life, and, and this man, he actually was able to trust the voice of Jesus and be obedient, and he was healed. Listen, In the midst of something going on in your life, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of grief, you may not be able to see what Jesus is doing, but you can trust him. You can be obedient. And I believe, I believe that one day, whether it's a year from now, 10 years from now, or when you get to heaven, maybe you suffer your whole life in some sense. Some of you have chronic pain. My mom spent her whole life with chronic pain. Listen, you may suffer your whole life, but even even in heaven, you're going to look back and you're going to be able to see that God was at work the whole time. And that's good news. That is the love of Jesus. That's the initiation of Jesus. I want to encourage you to trust him because he loves you. He's pursuing you and he's working amidst whatever is going on in your life. So that's the first miracle that we see in the story. That's the physical miracle. But what's kind of crazy is um, this chapter, it's a 41 verse chapter and it reads like a movie. We don't have time to read it all because um, then you'd miss lunch. But it reads like a movie, all right? And, uh, and we're only seven verses in. And here's what's crazy. This, this physical miracle, it's like the big wow moment, right? But if you pay attention, it only happens in like half of a verse. Like John doesn't even give a whole verse to it. Look at it. It's in verse 7. Just feel how um, anticlimactic this is. You wouldn't write it like this, right? So he went and washed and came back seeing. The end. That's all. Like I want to know what happened. I was talking with a friend of mine, and he's like, man, probably somebody had to walk this guy to the pool. It was probably a long ways off. This guy didn't see it. Like, there's so much that I want to know. The Pool of Siloam, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty special pool. It's got an incredible story in the Old Testament. It's ceremonial. There would have been a lot of people there. They would have actually seen him get down in. What did they think, you know? Were they disgusted with how dirty he was, what was happening? I want to know, like, when he, when he washed, what did he think would happen? Like, we don't, you don't even know. What did he see? It's like John intentionally turns the volume down on the physical miracle. Isn't that so weird? And it's because the physical miracle is a sign pointing to the greater miracle. Do you hear me? The entire rest of this chapter is us getting to see these portraits of people who miss Jesus. This physical sign of a man being healed from blindness from birth is a point, it points us to the recognition that spiritually we are blind from birth. Everyone apart from the work of God is blind from birth, but Jesus steps in so that we, we can receive our sight. So we're going to jump in to, uh, we're going to jump back into the, the story. But what I want you to just feel for a second is we're a whole bunch of people that are here in church, right? The religious people in the story, they miss Jesus. So I don't want you to breeze past this as if this isn't us, because I think it, it probably, in some sense, is us. 
First, um, jumping into verse 8, we're not going to read it, but the guy's neighbors kind of respond to what they're seeing. They see that he can, can see, and they kind of get into this debate. Is this the guy who is blind? No, it, no, it's not him. It looks like him. I don't know. And he says, hey, I'm the man. Jesus healed me. There's this kind of funny moment where they're like, oh, uh, where is he? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know where he's at because um, he was blind. He didn't see him. Where is he? He said, I don't know. Well, all right. They're like, we got to get some answers, right? So they go to the Pharisees, who are supposed to have all the answers, but they quickly find out that when it comes to the power of Jesus and the kingdom of God, the Pharisees don't have the right answers. Here's what I mean. Jesus did this miracle on a Sabbath day, and they had all these rules about what could or couldn't be done on the Sabbath, and Jesus likely broke two or three. Um, The first one that he broke, and uh, let's just talk about how crazy this is for a second. The first one that he broke uh, was, unless it's a case of life or death, there's no healing on the Sabbath. Can't heal on the Sabbath. All right, unless you're about to die, no hope for you. So Jesus broke that, that rule. Um, secondly, you couldn't make clay. You couldn't knead on the Sabbath, like K-N-E-A-D. You couldn't knead on the Sabbath. And so, so here's what's fascinating, right? Um, Jesus, he could have healed with a snap of a finger, with a thought, with a word, but he actually spits on the ground and and goes and does this clay thing, right? And once again, it brings us back to the fact that he was preeminent. He was was there in the beginning. He formed man out of the clay. That's powerful. Um, But it's like he almost intentionally breaks these rules with his spit. Now, we got to talk about the spit for a second, right? The spit's kind of awkward. You ever had spit on your eyes? Hope not. Um, I, I, don't know, I don't know that this man's blindness really ever benefited him, except for the fact he didn't have to know that he had spit on his eyes, you know? Commentators have a lot of different opinions for why this may have happened or why Jesus would have done this, what they would have believed then or, then or there, and um, we could go through the host of them. But I actually think the coolest thing uh, that I want to share with you is what came out of a conversation I had with a friend a few days ago. She said, um, can you imagine, this man was considered a sinner, and so a lot of religious people would have probably walked by and spit on this man. How profound is it that Jesus actually takes what other people used to shame him and uses it to heal him? I think that's incredible. It's beautiful. It's powerful. That is a picture of what, what God wants to do with your shame. God wants to cover your shame. He wants to remove your shame. Jesus loves you so much that he would even take the very thing that people would use to shame you. And he said, it's right there that I'm going to heal you. All right? Now, the Pharisees, they didn't understand that, right? They didn't understand grace. They lived their life based off of morality, right and wrong. Would you stack up? Would you not? So they didn't understand that. So they just couldn't even believe it was a miracle. They thought it was a lie. So they go and they get the man's parents. Which is kind of funny. Um, they say that uh, this man was of age, which was 13 at that point, but he's obviously not old enough where someone's going to not uh, go get their parents to check their alibi. You know what I mean? So he's a young man, and so the Pharisees go and they interrogate the parents. And the parents say, hey, we know that this is our son, that he was born blind, but we don't know how he received his sight. He's of age, ask him. And John tells us that they did that because they were afraid of what the Jews would do to them, that they would throw them out of the synagogue. And, and I just want to pause here. I don't have a whole lot of like pastoral application other than sadness. Can you imagine what it was like to be a young man who had spent his whole life in darkness, never seen anything beautiful in his life? He'd never even seen his parents' faces, and the second that he can, they just give him up and they plead the fifth. 
I just, I just like feel for it, you know? I feel for a young man who's been so left outside of everything, and even when he first gets his sight, his parents don't even care for him. Anyway, I, I just think it's, it's powerful, and I want you to feel that for a second for this man. So the Pharisees, they go back and they interrogate him again, and we're going to jump into the story. It's verse 24. I think it'll come up behind me. So for the second time, they call the man who had been born blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. I'll translate that for you. Hey, this can't be true. Stop lying, fess up, tell us the truth, and give glory to the real God. And listen to the courage from this man. Listen to um, just the power of this testimony as he stands in the face of, of people that his parents already cowered down to. Listen to this. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. This is a powerful mic drop testimony uh, moment here. And I just want to say this. I think a lot of times for us as Christians, if you're a Christian in the room today, you might feel like you're supposed to have every question answered for people. You might be afraid to own your faith in front of people because you're afraid about what they're going to ask you. Or you might feel like you have to debate people into believing in Jesus. But what we see here is this man just shares his testimony. And it's a testimony of power. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is in Revelation chapter 12. And it's talking about the end times. It's talking about the day that Satan is defeated. And it says, and they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the power of their testimony. The blood of the lamb is the fact that Jesus was crucified on our behalf so that our sins could be forgiven and anyone, anyone who would believe in him could become a child of God. That's the blood of the lamb. The power of the testimony, that's all we have to give. So I just want to remove any pressure that you feel when you're sharing Jesus with people. I just want to relieve any pressure that you feel to answer every single question that they have or debate them into the faith because it's this moment that this man who has experienced the transformative power of Jesus, he just shares it and they have to deal with it. All right. Now, the, the quick end of that story is they, they reject it and they want to ask him more questions about it. And so he just gets a little salty with them, which is kind of fun. He's like, oh, do you want to become his disciples too? Why do you keep asking me about him? And they get kind of angry. Um, and then they actually cast him out of the synagogue. And that's kind of the end of, of that act, of act two. I want to pull us back to the point. It's 26 verses of people who actually see a miracle of Jesus. They're actually walking in and around Jesus. You've got the neighbors who are asking lots of questions about Jesus, but we don't necessarily see them get to the end of the line. You've got the Pharisees that it breaks all of their worldviews, and it would, really mess it, it would really mess up the way they see the world if Jesus really did this. And then you've got um, the parents who just shrink back in fear, but we actually see everyone else in the story misses Jesus. As I was meditating on this passage, thinking about what, what God wants to do in us as a church, I just kept on thinking, God, please don't let that be me. Please don't let that be me. I don't know if you feel that way, but when I read stories of tons of people who miss Jesus, I just think, man, I don't, I don't want to miss Jesus. And I get that it's all about the initiation of God. I just don't want to miss him. 
In fact, I don't, I don't just want to miss him for my whole life. I don't want to miss him at all. Like, I want to see what God is doing in my life. I want to see what he's doing in your life, in my wife's life, in my kid's life. I want to see all the things that Jesus is doing. But what we're supposed to see here is that we all have ways that we suffer from spiritual blindness. All of us need to see Jesus more clearly today. I had a friend um, recently uh, where she, she, she got a new job and, and she had to deal with the suffering. Like she, it was like every day um, she had to deal with the most intense parts of suffering. And she asked me a really honest question. She said, hey, I need to know, like, how can you see God as good and see all the suffering in the world? That's a valid question. That's a question that deserves to be answered, right? But here's what she said. She said, but I've been in church my whole life. I've read the Bible through so many times, so I, I know everything that there is to say um, about that from the Bible. I just need to know what you have to say. I get where she's coming from, right? I get it. But I just politely responded like, hey, I love you, and no, you don't. No, you don't. I get, I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't know how many times you've read the Bible. We all need to see Jesus more clearly today. Um, over the last couple of weeks, man, just transparently, like, I took some stuff out of my life. You know what I mean? Um, there are some things that were distracting me from Jesus. Some of the things that they weren't even necessarily bad things, but I had made them ultimate things. I had to take some stuff out of my life. I also had to take some sinful stuff out of my life, too. Um, I didn't feel like I could stand up in front of all of you and give this to you and not say, man, you know, I really felt this for me, and I had to change some things. Not because it saves me, but because I want to see Jesus do you want to see Jesus? I've been a part of this church for 10 years. I've, I've been raised in this church. I've been on staff for eight years. I love this church so much. But I want us to be a church that sees Jesus. I don't want us to be a church that sees all of our favorite travel destinations but misses Jesus. I don't want, to be, I don't want us to be a church that sees our children succeed in all of the ways that God wants to see our children succeed but miss Jesus. I don't want us to get our dream life, our dream home, our dream spouse, but miss Jesus. Do you want to see Jesus today? And I know that so many of us, like you've been following Jesus for decades, but I also know that you probably know someone who has seemingly been following Jesus for decades and they walk away because they lost sight of Jesus. There is nothing more beautiful, nothing more important, nothing that we need more today than to see Jesus more clearly today. So here's my question. What is keeping you from seeing Jesus today? Ask yourself that question. In fact, something just popped up in your head probably. You know exactly what it is. It's not worth it. Jesus is absolutely worth it. We got to move on. I, um, I, I came to the place where I kept asking myself the question, how do I know? Like, how do I know whether or not I see Jesus clearly? And that's the question that we all have to ask, right? And we're going to jump back into the story because what we see is that the more clearly we see Jesus, the more we worship. Look at verse 35 with me. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and he found him. Pause for a second. We don't find Jesus. Jesus finds us. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. 
Here's his response. Here's the response. Verse 38. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus, he, he comes for this outcast and he reveals himself. He invites him to believe in him. And that is when the second and greater miracle happens. That's when he receives his spiritual sight. I, um, the reality is that the, the more we see Jesus and what he's done for us, the more we'll worship And when I say worship, I don't just mean worship with music. I mean, we should worship with music, man. You know, we should worship and we should sing, we should praise. But I mean a whole life of worship. But sometimes you can get so far away from that, right? Sometimes you can get so far away from remembering exactly what Jesus saved you from. One of the things that really refreshes me is when I get to spend time around new Christians who are new in addiction and recovery, I don't know if you have any friends like that. I get to spend a lot of time with guys um, who have literally spent decades of their life in chains. Decades of their life with their family taken from them, their freedoms taken from them, literally getting tugged around by, the, you know, by a chain by the devil. And some of them have faced down death, been on their own deathbed. When they get freed and when they see what Jesus frees them from, they worship They worship. They worship loud. Sometimes they're on the front row, but their whole life becomes worship. They become evangelists. They want to share everything about the freedom that they've received. Listen, that is what it looks like to actually be freed by Jesus. This man is cast out into the darkness. He's lived his entire life in darkness, in the dirt, cast out from his family, from his community, and from the, the ability to worship God. But Jesus... Jesus comes to him, and he meets him. And it's because of the will of God, because of the will of God, that this man is declared a child God. And this child of God will worship Jesus in God's house forever as a citizen of heaven. I want to read to you from John's epic introduction to his gospel out of John 1, chapter 12 through 13. John writes, to all who did receive him, this is Jesus, to all who did receive him, Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For anyone who believes in Jesus, you become a child of God. Here's what we have to see. We are the blind man. This story, we're supposed to recognize that when Jesus looks off into the distance and he sees a man who's, who's been living their life completely in darkness, he's seeing us. We are the blind man. Apart from the work of God, we are utterly dead in our sins. Apart from God, chained up by our sins. But because of the will of God, because of the love of God, the grace and the power of Jesus, to free us, we're free. And not only just free, but we are declared not orphans anymore, but children of God. And listen, for all of eternity, for anyone who believes in Jesus, you're going to see him face to face, and you're going to worship. The more clearly we see Jesus and what he's done for us, the more we worship. So I want to give you a second. I want to give you a second just to consider, just to remember what it was like when you first believed in Jesus. That could have been yesterday. could have been a year, from, a, year, a year ago. It could have been 10 years ago. 
Apart from Jesus, you are in utter darkness. But because of Jesus, you're a beloved child of God. The more clearly we see Jesus, the more we worship. So as we close, I just want to remind you that Jesus sees your suffering. He moves in your suffering. Even if you can't see him yet, God is at work. We all can see Jesus more clearly today, and he's worth it. He's more beautiful than anything else you've got your eyes set on. And the more clearly we see him, the more we get to worship, and we're going to do it for eternity. So as we close, Jesus, he wants, to see, he wants you to see him more clearly today, but don't miss the signs. If you're a follower of Jesus today, man, I just want to encourage you to take time and remember the powerful ways that God stepped forward in your life and he's moved in your life. And then just let it fill your heart with gratitude and lead to worship. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, man, I'm so glad that you're here. It's a gift that you would be here with us. When I, when I think about you, I think about the neighbors. The neighbors asked a bunch of questions about Jesus. They came right up to the line of faith, but we never know if they really stepped over. We never know if they actually gave their entire life to Jesus. They stepped over the line of faith today. Hebrews chapter 3 says, hey, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Listen, um, I don't know if you feel like you can see God yet. But I believe if you trust in him and, and, you, and you follow him, one day you'll be able to look back on your life and see all of the ways that Jesus has been drawing you to the moment that you placed your faith in him. That's the grace of God to save you and to give you a heavenly inheritance as a child of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we just thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your love that caused you, caused you to give everything for us, Jesus. Thank you for all of the ways that you've, you've taken um, the chains that have bound us and you've broken them, Jesus. And you've freed us and you've taken us from being blind orphans out in the dirt and you've, you've, you've cleansed us and you've healed us and you've declared us children of God. For anyone who's not a follower of Jesus today, Jesus, I just pray that they would stop fighting you. I just pray that they would, they would not let anything keep them from responding to your love, Jesus. I just pray. I pray for healing, God. I pray for, for your physical healing today, Jesus. We just pray that your power would be manifest in our midst. It's in your name we pray. Amen.